Welcome to Outside the Tank, the first podcast in the world that interviews the entrepreneurs featured on Shark Tank. We get the inside scoop on how they got there, what lessons they learned, their biggest regrets, what didn't air on TV, what has happened to them since, and so much more. Prepare to be informed, inspired, and entertained. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. I'm Tom. And I'm the better-looking co-founder, Joe. <laughs> no comment? Well, um, watch, watch the YouTube show. Judge for yourself. <laughs> this was a great interview. It Ehan. was. Uh, Ehan, Soul Mender, Cold Foot Massager, Season 9, Episode 4, uh, October 15th. 2017. So a few years back now, goes into the tank asking 75,000 for 10% of his company. Uh, he's selling these at 39.99, and the cost to make them was about ten dollars. Yeah. What happened? Well, it it, uh, it was very unceremonious. Um, very likable guy, smart guy, and and we'll get, you'll hear the interview. You'll get into it. a lot of a lot of good stuff. Uh, he he took away from the experience, but it was a crash and burn in terms of getting a deal. They actually suggested he go back to school. Uh, they didn't feel this was an, an investable uh, product at the time. Well, again, great interview. There's going to be a lot of great takeaways for us to share afterwards. So enjoy our interview with Ehan. All right. We are here with Ian Solmender. Ian, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Man, we have so much to talk about. Let's, let's start at the beginning, though. How old were you when you came up with the idea for this product and walk us through how you developed it? For sure. So I was actually 12 years old when I first came up with the product. Um, my mom is a physician. Actually, both my parents are physicians, but she suffered from a condition called plantar fasciitis. Um, it's a super common condition. You get micro tears in the plantar fascia, which is the tendon that runs along the bottom of the foot. And I, being the 12 year old I was, I didn't want to see her in pain, obviously. So I figured I'd try and figure out one way to help her. And I would, I would always see her recommending to her patients to freeze like a water bottle and roll your foot on that. Um, but when I started doing that myself to keep the, the water bottles in the freezer, so if she was in pain, she could roll her foot on it. It was just an absolute disaster. They were rolling away. They're making a mess. If you have like a really thin one, they were just exploding in the, in the freezer. So I figured there's got to be a better way to do it. And I came up with this little device that combines these two aspects of cold and massage therapy, which is what you're getting out of the water bottle, but it's one compact, portable, easy to use little, uh, little device. And she absolutely loved it after she tried it out. And so I figured, wow, this might be an actual project. Um, so I kept it on the back burner for a little bit, but after a while we started looking into kind of possibilities of what I could work on. Cause I've always been a maker at heart. I'm always working on stuff, always projects and all that. And so it kind of was sitting in my notebooks for a while. And then when I was around 15, we met with this guy who does products uh, overseas over in, in China. And we we're just kind of going through the notebook and it was the simplest idea, but it just made a lot of sense. And so we took that idea and we we're like, all right, we're going to start iterating it out. We're going to take it to the manufacturing plant and to 3D printing and prototyping and all of that. And it kind of got us to where we are now. I mean, we've iterated it out so many times at this point to get it to the point where it actually is 
a functional, easy to use product, but people just absolutely love it because it's it's one of those things where it's uh, it's a necessity for people who need it. And so it's been an absolute hit. So by the time you get on Shark Tank, you were 17 at that point, correct? So I was 16 when we filmed. It aired when I was 17. Um, it was, yeah, it was absolutely crazy journey. I was really young at the time. So before we talk about anything related to the business, you know, they, they were on you saying, look, we're not giving you a deal. You need to go to college. So, you know, in the four or so years since the episode aired, what did you decide to do? Did you go to college? How much time are you spending on the business? Yeah. So I did end up going to college. I'm currently here at Berkeley, University of California, Berkeley. Um, I'm majoring in French and business, which is really random combination, but um, it, it works out. It's two of my, two of my passions. And so um, I, I do spend a lot of time on the business. I've automated a lot of the processes so that I can be here. My parents are both full-time physicians, so they're not really great with a lot of the hands-on stuff. They can do a lot of really just kind of grunt work, the, the basic stuff. But um, I've made it such that I'm able to be here in California, work on the stuff, and then things are still able to run a little bit smoothly uh, in, in St. Louis. And how did you end up getting onto Shark Tank? So we did, we went through the application process, just like everyone. Um, we applied, I think in December, but I don't, I mean, I don't recall all of the dates and stuff, but we did do the the whole application process and it was, it was a long process for sure. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun because I knew that's what I wanted to do. And so it's cool to just be like practicing my pitch and like all of that kind of stuff. But it was definitely kind of a nerve wracking kind of long process. And then what was it like when it aired? You know, how was it watching it on TV? What happened to the product and the business, you know, immediately following it airing back in 2017? I mean, it was absolutely nuts. I mean, I was 17 at the time when it aired. I did not have any infrastructure in place. I was just still kind of like everything was all about just getting to that point where we filmed. And then it was you have a kind of a bit of a bit of time between you film and air. And so I was sitting there trying to figure everything out trying to make sure things run smoothly uh, uh, after we do air, but there's just no guarantee of anything. And so we were waiting on inventory. So at one point we ran out of inventory right, right after we aired. I remember that night, my high school hosted a, um, like a watch party, which was a lot of fun. And that night I was just watching the numbers go crazy on our, on our Shopify dashboard. And I realized, gosh, I'm not going to be able to figure this out on my own. So the next day, I'm hiring all of my friends to come to the warehouse. We had, I think that night we did about 10,000 orders. And so wow. that's huge for somebody who's not doing it. Cause I mean, our business was primarily wholesale pri uh, prior to Shark Tank. So I wasn't doing a lot of uh, e-commerce stuff at the time. And so now I'm having to completely shift our business model to some degree. And I didn't have the infrastructure to fulfill all that. And so we have people in now, all of my friends are like, we, we leave school, we all run over to the warehouse. And we're there and from like 5 p.m. till midnight fulfilling orders. And um, it's just absolutely crazy. We're doing like pallets and pallets and pallets, sending them out. I mean, USPS hated me for a solid month. We we're <laughs> sending out pallets constantly. And it, it was a huge endeavor, a huge undertaking, especially for, for me with college applications at the time and like high school and everything all going on at the same time. It was a lot to, to, to kind of balance, but um, we figured it out. It was a, definitely a, a crazy experience right after we aired for sure. Are you disappointed you didn't get a deal or do you think it's worked out for the best that you didn't at that time? So the big thing for me is, I mean, you go in there and that's what you want. Like that is the epitome of Shark Tank. It's not just even getting to Shark Tank, it's getting the deal. 
And I was like dead set. I wanted Lori Grenier because I wanted, I knew my product was perfect for QVC. I was like, I want to get on QVC. I need Lori, da, 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 da. And so I was, I think that that was one of the big issues for me is I was like, oh, I was kind of crushed after that because we didn't get a deal. And I was sitting there with my, because my dad and I filmed together. I was sitting there. I was like, gosh, what do we do now? That's really annoying. It's really agitating. That's really what I wanted to, to do. Um, but it did teach me kind of that, that whole resilience element. So like that evening, I mean, immediately, cause I mean, I'm from the Midwest, we're in LA, this is like crazy for us. And so we went and we filmed and then my dad and I went out to dinner. And so I already had my notebooks out and we were planning and plotting what's the next steps. What do we do next? And, um, it, it's, it's one of those things where I think for me, it was kind of crushing in the moment. But I eventually ended up kind of achieving all of those things that I had planned and was hoping that I would get out of the deal. And so in the end, it worked out great. We did end up getting on QVC um, kind of by my own accord, which was a lot more gratifying, I think. Um, and it, it was a great experience uh, when you look back on it now. Ian, um, several of the sharks suggested you go to college and obviously you thought that was good advice, <clears throat> but also Mr. Wonderful and I think one other shark were concerned about your customer acquisition costs online. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Mr. Mr. Wonderful really, Kevin really challenged that. Did it prove to be that challenging or were you at on controlling customer acquisition costs right now? So customer acquisition is always going to be our big, uh, big issue. At the time, we didn't even have any information on it because I mean, we're so young, we had no business backbone really when we went into Shark Tank, which was a big issue for us. Um, I mean, at this point, we hired on a big marketing team now. They work with a lot of our, um, a lot of our products. And so it's, it's complicated. It's very expensive to get a customer, especially now for our specific business. Um, we're looking at something that's for the kind of options that a customer has when it comes to plantar fasciitis treatments. They're just such an there's such a weird array because it can go from everything from like a ten to fifteen dollars splint all the way to surgery. So it's like there's just this weird array. So it, it's hard to kind of pinpoint the exact value. I think right now, um, I honestly I don't know it right off the top of my head because uh, our, our marketing guys have been handling a lot of that. But um, it's I know that it has gotten significantly more expensive. And I mean I'm it climbing up to kind of that December that fourth quarter it gets very expensive for us just because, I mean, the marketing dollars are just ridiculous. Acquisition cost goes crazy in, in that fourth quarter. But now it's going to start to tail down and get a little bit cheaper. So I'm hoping that as that gets a little bit cheaper, we can kind of capitalize on that a little bit more. What about distribution? Is distribution split between uh, wholesale at time of airing you were primarily uh, wholesale? Is it split now between direct-to-consumer online and wholesale? So it was split initially. It was actually primarily wholesale initially. We've moved to primarily e-commerce now. I have a couple small stores here and there that I still supply just because, I mean, it's a, it's a relatively small town and it's nice to, to work with a lot of the people in town. Um, that said, wholesale is not an ideal situation. Costs have gone up significantly overseas. So our margins are really slim on the wholesale. So it just doesn't make a, a ton of sense. Um, I also have found that with a lot of the Shark Tank products, if you do go very, um, for us, we're lucky with, with a lot of the stores, but when you do go from the wholesale side, there's a lot of people just trying to capitalize on the product and the brand. Um, so you see a lot of your inventory just goes over to Amazon or something like that, which isn't ideal. It hurts the brand. So we're trying to control and, 
and mitigate a lot of those issues that that we've seen. Um, but I still try and kind of maintain those relationships with any stores that I have in town and and, and work with them on the wholesale side. But it is primarily e-commerce at this point. And and what's you know, give us just an idea of what's happened in the three and a half years since the episode aired. You know, where where did you spend your time? What changed in the business? What does the business look like now versus what you presented on television? Yeah, so a lot has changed, honestly. Um, I think the first thing is I went from doing a lot more kind of the the grunt work of getting orders out and getting this out and working on a lot of that to more. Yeah, you had all your buddies. You had all your buddies go and do that in the warehouse <laughs> exactly. at midnight so you could be CEO. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So so I definitely had to, to kind of modify um, my stance there just because it just doesn't make sense for me to be in the thick of it, constantly slapping labels on boxes. Um, that's now my dad's job, thankfully. <laughs> um, he can be a physician by day. He's my fulfillment person by night. Physician by day, and he's got his kid making him put labels on. Yep. <laughs> um, but, but the reality of it is that's, that was the biggest change. I think there's been a lot that's happened since. We, um, we obviously did our QVC run, which was a lot of fun. Um, so I got to do like a guest host. I got to do the guest hosting on that. Um, so that was incredible because that was one of my dreams after Shark Tank was QVC. So I got to achieve that. Um, we've done like Touch of Modern sales. I'm not sure if you guys have heard of them. They do yep, um, yep. a number of products. So we did Touch of Modern sales. We've done uh, just a number of those kinds of things. We recently built out a big office space, which is really cool out in St. Louis. Um, so that was one of my like dreams is to build out this really cool like techie kind of vibe office. So now we have a, a nice big office space. Um, we got our patent, which was the big thing. Cause that's been on, in the process for who knows how long, um, probably since like 2014, uh, it's a long process to get there and we finally got the patent. Um, but yeah, there's been a, definitely a lot of progress since shark tank, but it just kind of depends. There's, I just have a million things going on at once. I'm obviously now at college, which is one of the biggest changes. Um, and so it was a lot of moving things around, making sure that I'm able to be away from the business and it can still operate smoothly. Um, but yeah. I'm sure a lot of your friends at Berkeley have been on Shark Tank as well, right? <laughs> I can't say so. <laughs> I, I think, yeah. Yeah. Not, so not what, yet. So what happens to you after college? I think the reality of it is, is I have to go back to St. Louis and deal with a lot of the, uh, the business stuff just because it's so hard to be so far away and have everything going on at the same time. So, um, I mean, I'm always looking, I, I think I'm a serial entrepreneur at heart. And so Soulmender's one project of many different things we're working on all, all at the same time. And so I'll probably go back to St. Louis for a bit, try and figure things out there, sort things out with the business. Um, I don't know, I'm a big Francophile, so maybe I'll go to France and work on something there, you never know. Um, but yeah. Well, I know, I know one thing you're gonna do after you graduate is you're gonna call A-Rod back. <laughs> exactly. Yes, for sure. But it sounds like the St. Louis office that you built out is really going to become a think tank and an incubator for some of your other entrepreneurial ideas, ventures. Yeah, I think that's the plan. I was really excited because I recently filmed a couple, we're working on a coffee brand on the side and we filmed a, a couple like a new like promotional videos there, which was really exciting to see that space actually come together and be really functional for um first projects like that because that's just that was one of my dreams is making it so like properly put together and aesthetic that you can actually use it for not just working and all that but it can actually function in, in these kind of uh 
dual environments and and it turned out really great and i'm really excited how many people uh are involved in the company now so it really depends because i'm not here um we've outsourced a lot of our our, our work um so what i prefer to keep everything in house but i just don't have that capability because i can't manage that many situations from way out here um so it in our managing or our um, marketing team i'm not sure we have a main point of contact they probably have about five to 10 people there. Um, and then the warehouse operates separately. And that's kind of, it's not a true 3PL, but it is, um, they operate separately of us and then they can handle wholesale and um, they can handle kind of all of the, uh, the, the other fulfillment needs. So everyone you deal with in a business setting is older than you and some might be two or three times your age, right? Is there any challenges that you've experienced in that or anything that you've learned or any advice you could give to anyone that is substantially younger than everyone else they're dealing with? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely tough, especially in St. Louis, where it is kind of, I, I mean, I've learned in California, everything's like, everyone will take you seriously no matter what. In yeah. St. Louis as a kid, it's a very more, it's a more traditional business practice. Um, and so you see a lot of that kind of more, it's the older people with the classic kind of corporate structure and all of that. And so I was definitely not taken as seriously in the beginning. And I think the biggest thing is perseverance is, is very important. Um, especially when we were like going door to door, trying to sell it everywhere. That was the big thing is you'd get tons of notes because these people don't care. They're a lot older. They're like, oh, there's just this kid running around doing this stuff. So I had to kind of learn to bounce back quickly and be like, okay, that's a no, but who cares? We're going to move on. We're going to figure it out. And so that was kind of the, the big thing is if there are people, if you are younger and you are in that kind of younger side of the room, you have to be able to be, uh, to be resilient and, and kind of jump back and, and quickly uh, not take that kind of criticism or, or um, uh, no for, for uh, not take it to heart. You know, I never thought about that, but in the Midwest, I grew up in Southern California. You have no idea. Huh? You have no idea. No, the I mean, Midwest is a lot more traditional. Mm -hmm. I grew up in LA, LA, Northern California, the Bay Area, very open. No one uh, cares about your age. No. I mean, no. where I grew up in Pittsburgh, it's like if you weren't bald, then you didn't know anything. <laughs> I'm serious. So, you know, I, so I remember when I, when I started, you know, I started a business right out of college. And it was like, well, how, how are you doing that? Why are you doing that? What the hell, you know, what the hell are you thinking? It's like, you know, I, do I have to wait until I'm, you know, 40 to do anything in this world? Right. Oh, it's horrible. It's so funny. I hadn't, you know, I hadn't thought about that in no, years, yeah, but you're, you're so right. And then, you know, you're Northern California. I mean, it's, it's, People don't care about age there. Not at all. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I've been talking to some of my professors and it's just, it's so crazy to see like, this just normal out here. Like, especially with Shark Tank and all that, because for a lot of entrepreneurs, Shark Tank becomes that kind of epitome of entrepreneurship. And so just talking to like my professors, they, they are all just very, they kind of take you seriously. They're like, this is, yeah, this is just normal. But in St. Louis, it's like, well, that's, that's crazy. Like to see a kid who went on Shark Tank, like, that's just not normal. Like, it's all, I mean, we have like three or four of us from St. Louis that have actually been on a show, but still just having a kid who's doing business stuff and who's actually kind of accumulated um, this, this following of uh, people who absolutely are obsessed with this brand and product and whatnot. It's really rare to see that. And so it, I think it took a lot of people by surprise, um, but it's also a very tight knit community. So they're all really supportive and love it. And they're all super excited at the same time. Is it going to be tough for you when you graduate to not stay in that Northern California Bay Area Silicon Valley vibe? Like, are you are you 
feeling tied into it and want to stay and you're being pulled back home or are you excited to go home after you graduate? I, I mean, I'll be honest. I'm pretty excited to go home. I, I like California and it was always my dream to come out here at one point or another. Um, but there's just, it's a very different culture and I'm not used to it as much. It's a very, um, I think especially Northern California, I, I can't speak to Southern California, but Northern California has more of this kind of individualistic entrepreneurial spirit, which is really great and constructive in some, in some places. For me, it just doesn't mesh great. I love the kind of community vibe of um, building everything. We're going to build it together. We're going to work on this. And, and that's always just been at the core of everything I do. Um, my mom's from Southern Illinois. And so that's kind of very, uh, we're, we're very much so ingrained in that, in that bubble there. And I love it. And so I, I think I'm excited to go back. But I definitely love the experience of having coming uh, having come out here, and I'd love to be able to maybe have an office out here and come out here occasionally. Yeah, you know, it's it's incredible the the advice that you gave hit me so hard because I started selling insurance and financial products to business owners when I was eighteen years old, and one of the things that my mentor uh, told me day one, week one when I got shut down by a few older bald men who said, you can't possibly sell me a product I'd buy. You don't know enough about the industry. He said, you need to have a very thick skin. And that's what mm -hmm. I hear. <laughs> Your advice. Exactly. Have that thick skin. I love that. Now that you're really old, are you nice to younger people? I am very, yeah. <laughs> I'm 60 years old, okay. Ian. So I'm very, very, uh, I'm very, very thoughtful when I talk to younger people. <laughs> <laughs> So what does what does the future of the business hold? What do you see happening over the next 12 to 18 months? So I think 12 to 18 months, I think that we're looking at a lot of product line extensions. Um, there's a we, we definitely have a captive audience at this point. And we know that we've created something that not only is it um, a product that people just like, and it's a brand that they're uh, interested in, it's actually something that they use in their day-to-day -day life and something that they get immense value from. So we're going to try and iterate out some of our products. Um, we're working on things like lidocaine and attachments for our proprietary roller and stuff like that, where it can actually function with the existing system and be used for a number of different applications. And so that's kind of where we are now. Um, we're trying to bring some of those production elements uh, in-house and do some of it in St. Louis, which would be really amazing. Um, just because with everything going on overseas, it's really hard to manage production and manage quality and all that. And that's always been an issue. And so if we could make it in St. Louis, that'd be like a dream come true. That'd be incredible. Um, so we're working on that. Um, what else? I mean, I've, my dream is to get my own warehouse. So I'm trying to slowly figure that out and um, eventually bring those kinds of things in-house because that gives you kind of that control. and As I said, I'm a serial entrepreneur. So having that warehouse in-house means that I can do anything, any project, any fulfillment, anything I want to work on can be done really easily at the snap of a finger. And so I think that's kind of that, that next stage. Um, I'm not sure. There's, I mean, there's always a lot going on. We're ramping up some of our email marketing stuff. We're, we're kind of taking, I'm not sure if you guys have heard of Klaviyo, but everyone uses Klaviyo. I'm always behind the, way behind in email marketing and marketing in general. And so um, we're working on setting that up and getting that up and going and email and SMS and uh, the whole nine, whole nine yards there. Yeah, the, it's uh, not easy being a serial entrepreneur because you have the curse of having too many good ideas in your head. <laughs> exactly. And it's hard to, to just stick to one thing and make sure that you see it all the way through when there's, uh, you, there's I, a million I, things. Yeah, I, I want to ask you that. How do you start to uh, prioritize 
some of the ideas, ventures, journeys that you that you have on the board in your head? How do you start to prioritize those now? So I think for me, it's a lot of just letting every, I mean, I had a mentor once who told me you have 20 boats sitting in the ocean and you want to keep adding a little bit to each boat to see which ones will continue to float. And then whichever one sinks, you just let them go and then keep adding to those boats that will, will keep floating and those ones will get bigger and bigger. And so that's one of those things that I've always taken to heart is you can start five or six projects at one time if you want to, but you just need to keep seeing which ones are actually viable and don't put too much into each boat. Make sure you're spreading that out evenly and then slowly but surely you'll see what's actually a viable project. And then you start investing more time, energy and money into that. And so that's kind of where I'm at where if something's not working, you can't be afraid of failure, just quickly shut it down, move on to the next thing. Yeah, um, don't have too so much of your identity or ego tied to one project. project. Yeah, exactly, so, yeah. Well, what I, what I really like too is that, you know, with, with this office space and the infrastructure that you've built from your business, you've really created almost a little laboratory for yourself. Yeah, to try exactly. things uh, without risking a bunch of money, you know, just taking, you know, trying to hit some singles and doubles and seeing what happens mm-hmm. um, with that infrastructure. I think that's fantastic. So, you know, obviously a lot of the folks listening are entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs. What have you learned? I mean, what are some of the the key lessons as you look at your experience now that, that you think you can share with other people that might be able to help them out? So I think for me, and I mean, we kind of touched on this earlier, but resilience is one of the most important things because if you're not able to bounce back quickly as an entrepreneur, either whether that be failure or whether that just be simple rejection from somebody or something, then you're never going to actually be able to get to that next step. And so for me, I've always had to be able to just because, I mean, as we're talking about, you have to have thick skin, especially as a kid um, who's going to get uh, knocked down many times because people just don't want to take you seriously. You you have to learn to be resilient. And with that resilience comes a lot more success down the road because then you can bounce back. Then you can quickly do that, quickly iterate something out, quickly kind of move on to the next thing without tying too much emotional or, or, or um, mental energy to one specific problem. And so that's always kind of been one of the big things for me. I think for any entrepreneurs who are still kind of in that ideation stage, you have to learn how to just start for God's sake. Like if you're just sitting there looking at a project and planning and planning and planning, it's just never going to get to that next stage. And I think that's one of those things for me where um, as, as long as I just start something, I know that I can take it to the next stage. But if I'm just sitting and planning for ages, I know it's never going to get anywhere. And I know I'm never going to actually start anything. Well, you know, you, you mentioned two things that so many uh, you know, you either want to be entrepreneurs or people that really struggling to, to scale their business um, you know, I, I wrote down earlier that you you said I had to stop putting labels on. Well, a lot of people never stop putting those labels on, and mm-hmm. therefore they're never able to scale and grow their business. Um, you know, and then you have to learn how to just start. You know, everyone finds a reason why they can't get started today. Oh, get, I got to go get, water that. How plant. do you get started? <laughs> it just gets started. Just get started. So, well, this was a lot of fun um, for folks that want to buy the product. Where's the best p- place for them to buy it? Um, and then, how can they follow along with you and the business on social media? Yeah. So, for buying the product, definitely go to soulmender.com. Um, we're going to be releasing a couple new products coming up soon. So be sure to check that out. That's going to be awesome. Um, S-O-L-E Mender. Not S-O-L-E Mender.com. Exactly. S-O-L-E. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not the fish. Yeah, exactly. exactly. See, it makes sense. It fits. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, but yeah, if you want to follow our journey, definitely we have a Facebook page. It's at Cool Your Heels. You are uh, like C O O L U R H E E L S. Um, and then my personal Instagram is at Ian E H A N Kamat K A M A T. And I post a lot of updates as we're working on uh, new projects or when we're doing fun things in the office. I tend to post a lot about that too. So yeah. Well, we, this was great. We, we so appreciate your time and um, I'm sure you have a business to run classes, classes to, to get back to. And, <laughs> oh, I, Ian, you may even have a social life somewhere in there too. <laughs> I, I hope you do. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. It's been a really, really awesome talking to you guys. Thank you. Thanks, we appreciate Ian. it. What do we learn? Uh, I'm going to give you three things. Okay. I, lo I love the post game. Uh, and, and again, you know, gr great guy great product a um, couple things first you got to have a thick skin in this game you do I mean it just it's just not easy the experience on Shark Tank although you know great benefit from it in, in many many ways it you know it was a learning experience every little thing in his business has been a learning experience you just you've got to be resilient if you don't have a thick skin Tom you don't belong in the entrepreneurial game so number one and uh, number two I think that we learned that you can't fall too deeply in love with a product, a process, almost any silo of the of the business. You, it, when you start to fall in love with things, you you lose your objectivity, and that's not a good thing. You have to be willing to let go, tweak, pivot. If you fall in love with stuff and you get closed off inside of your own little self-made, you know, bullshit reality tent, you're screwed. <laughs> so you've got to you've got to stay very open. You can't fall too deeply in love with your your own ideas, your own voice, your own own vision. You have to be open. And last but not least, you've got to get started. Yeah. Uh, I say often, how do you get started with a business venture? Well, you get started, and you start to learn very quickly what you don't know, and you see. Do you get paid well for that advice? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. A actually, yes. <laughs> But it's a dumb thing. How do you get started? Well, you know, you could write a voluminous business plan, yeah, right? Yeah. And how many business plans have we seen that were voluminous and beautiful that just sat in a binder on a shelf? Oh, I projected desk? my next five years of, uh, you know, revenue and expenses. Oh, cool. What a waste <laughs> of time. You can write whatever numbers you want in the spreadsheet. Who cares? Yeah. But you, you yeah, get started no, by actually getting yeah. started and do the thing you know you can do. As opposed to what? Preparing to get prepared or get whatever ready. the opposite? Get, get ready. Getting ready to get ready. Get ready to get ready. All right. All right. I got a couple good ones here. Uh, he was 12 when he came up with this. I just yeah. – I love that and I love the effect Shark Tank has had on child entrepreneurs yep. and people coming up with these ideas. It's fantastic. Um, you know, he uh, – you know, we're talking about going to college and knowledge is power. And uh -huh. knowledge can be from a college campus. It can be from a book. It can be from Googling things. But I've just found that, you know – Getting smarter at key things in our business is critical, and you got to do it. Um, you know, customer acquisition is tough. It's tough in any business. It's so important. You know, getting better at customer acquisition. Um, and he brought up an interesting point. He said, you know, on the West Coast, people don't care about age. And so, you know, I grew up in Pittsburgh. And in Pittsburgh, um, all the bald guys in their 50s and 60s think they know more than the younger people because they've lived longer. Yeah. And it's such a stupid mentality. And yeah, there's an age hierarchy. Yeah. And, and it is the dumbest thing ever. 
And I remember being told in my early 20s of things I couldn't do or I was too young to do. And you can probably hear it in my voice. It still pisses me off. And it's like, who the hell are you to tell me that? And just because you're older and you've been around longer and you've, you know, effed up more doesn't make you smarter than me. It doesn't mean that I'm not on the right track to do things. And so I just, I, I, one of the things I do love about, you know, and we both live obviously in Arizona, I love that the West Coast and other parts of the country don't have that East Coast mentality of like uh, age is somehow, you know, tied to your, you know, brilliance. And it yeah. just, it, it, it actually pisses me off. My wife, Beth, made an observation months back. She said, you know, you don't have any uh, close friends or business associates that are older. You have a few mentors that are older, but virtually everyone that you really enjoy spending time with and, and talking to are significantly younger. And of course, I grew up on the West Coast in Los Angeles, spent 55 years there. And I think I appreciate that uh, the younger generations, I sound real younger, younger kids, but millennials and now Generation Z, they have incredible knowledge and they have skill sets and uh, paradigms that I just don't have at age 60. Well, and I, and I think it's interesting, too, because, you know, you look at, like, the Silicon Valley and all the people in their 20s that do things. You look in L.A. at entertainers and musicians and stuff, and there's some of them at, you know, 18 that are making more money than other people have in their entire career. So age just doesn't matter as much. You know, where I grew up, it was like, oh, well, you know, you take over the old man's business and you don't yeah. do that until, you know, he can't work anymore and that you have to wait your turn. And I, I'm just not patient enough for that. So I appreciate environments and places in the country where, you know, you can just be great at something regardless of your age and tenure and how long you've been at it. And, yeah. and it's just, it's awesome. Uh, two more quick ones. I uh, talked about building your laboratory and innovation time. We all need to do that. Whether you're physically creating a product or you do something like us that exists in the cloud, you got to be innovating. And then the last one was, you know, his, the quote I wrote down was bounce back quick. You got to have resiliency in this game. And if you yeah. don't, uh, you're going to have a hell of a time. So, <laughs> This was fun. You uh, said you said something. You said knowledge is power. One of the ways that entrepreneurs grab knowledge is by being in a mastermind group, a high-performing mastermind group or peer group. That's what we do. That's what we do. That's what Growth 10 is, our, our business. Join a we, mastermind yeah. if you're a high-performing entrepreneur that wants to be around peers or if you're a subject matter expert and someone that wants to form a mastermind, growth10.com. Just click on, you know, build one as opposed yeah. to joining one. But yeah, we offer a great platform we're very proud of. So as always, every Tuesday outside the tank, subscribe, tell your friends, spread the word. We appreciate the support. We hope you enjoy what we're doing. And we'll see you next week on an all new episode of Outside the Tank. <laughs> <laughs>